Hi guys, Kev here. Just want to say a big thank you for subscribing and listening to the podcasts. If you're new here, welcome to the pod. Now back to the story. And once again, thanks very much. A new crew has been assembled from available resources. Rog Blake. Kerr, Avon, Jenna, Stannis, Villa, Restel, Oleg, Gan, Laura, Mezin. No way! The new crew will take their places for induction. What happens after induction? When induction is complete, the crew will save the ship. In the 23rd century, the Galactic Federation was no longer a beacon of democracy and peace. It had become a corrupt tyranny ruled by elite factions who care nothing for the fate of ordinary people. Freedom and justice are things of the past. One man chose to oppose this. This is his story. The Federation no longer represents the people of Earth or the colonies. Its institutions are corrupt. Okay, let's go for time. I would ask the court for time to overthrow the current government. Say, four years? You've got two weeks, Blake. Here we go, then. Go. Confirm identity. I'm Avon. That's all that matters. Commence induction. Look out! It's opening a whole bridge! Don't move! Don't move! I'm all changing! I want it and its crew hunted down and torn off the bloody surface of space. Thirty years since the original TV show ended... Blake 7 returns as a compelling series of audio adventures. This program goes behind the scenes and follows the cast and crew at work on this reinterpretation of a much-loved classic. There's a man in there with a camera again. (laughs) (laughs) So the new rebellion. Very important rebellion, people. Very important. And who are you? My name is Rog Blake. Rog Blake, the people's champion. Colin Salmon. Blake Seven was an incredible sci-fi series back in my youth, actually. There were some beautiful women in it. I remember that. That was really important. Yeah, it was about rebellion. We were Blake Seven. We were doing that. I mean, I was involved in punk music and different things that were happening. It was literally get out there and do it, really. Derek Rydell. Successful BBC television sci-fi programme. You know, I remember it in the same t- sort of time frame as uh, John Pertwee, Doctor Who, into Tom Baker kind of thing. And I remember, you know, dodgy sets and, and some interesting costumes. When it was first offered to me, I thought, oh, i better, you know, try and find out a bit more. And so I went onto the internet and put in Blake Sever and then could not believe the number of sites that came up. Ben Aronovich, writer. Ah, uh, the original Blake Seven, that was Tuesday night, cracking television, best SF drama of its time. Blake Seven has uh, a seminal place, which is an overused word, but it's appropriate in this case, in that it's basically influenced every other space opera that came after it. Blake Seven was a show about a bunch of criminals fighting the evil Federation. Alistair Locke, music and sound design. The first thing I usually think of when I think of Blake Seven is the theme and the spaceship, but going away from me with that thing, the green light blinking as it heads away from us. A disparate band who are thrown together end up on this fabulous spaceship. 
Andrew Marks Ewell. It was like the Dirty Dozen in space meets Robin Hood. And they're fighting against the, the evil diva um, supreme commander Servalan and her various henchmen, of which the, the, the key one is Travis. You're surrounded, Blake. I've waited much too long for this. And so have I. Servalan. Louis Savvy, Festival Director, Sci-Fi London. Blake Seven is a... a has been the sort of, other than Star Wars, I think has been a major influence uh, in television science fiction. You know, things like Firefly and Farscape, um, you know, sort of a, uh, a band of anti-heroes or, you know, characters that don't really like each other thrown together on a, on a strange-looking ship and out into space on adventures. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's fabulous science fiction. Tell me about the Liberator, Blake. Is it as powerful as they say? How should I know? I don't listen to gossip. How many of you are there? Enough. Do you really think one ship, however powerful, will tip the balance? Yes. And so do you, or you wouldn't be here. So where does Blake Seven stand in the pantheon of British science fiction? Andrew Cartmel, script editor, classic Doctor Who. Um, I think it's second only to Doctor Who, although there, there were progenitors, uh, like Quatermass. They were very different in, in tone and also in format. Blake was definitely, I mean, people died in it. It was, I remember at the time my younger brother was a big fan of it, and he, he kept saying, oh, you know, they'll, they'll kill the people. Before that, you had the Star Trek model, you had the kind of lost in space model, and that was it. And then along came Blake Seven, and now you could have a completely dysfunctional family in space. And so Blake Seven gives us a bunch of people who don't like each other in space rather than, you know, let's all go out and conquer the universe together. Well, Blake Seven now is taking the essence, the spirit of what Terry Nation actually created and retooling it for the audience sensibilities of the 21st century. In a way, it's more modern than ever. I think now is a great time for it to come back. When I first heard that Blake Seven was going to be uh, reimagined, I think is the, uh, is the phrase, I just kind of sighed and went, oh, no, not, you know, not again, because most things that get remade end up being pretty terrible. Daniel J. Gettled. Reimagining programs and, and series and, and films gets a bad reputation because people don't think of the ones that are successful as a reimagining. But I think Battlestar Galactica changed uh, my perception to that always happening. Mark Platt, writer. My first thoughts on, on uh, getting this gig, actually, was, who were? Can they really bring it back? Then you sort of sat and thought about it and thought, well, it was of its time and times have moved on and I think there's a lot to add. James Swallow, writer. I relish the challenge because it's an opportunity to, to take something that I, I really enjoyed as a kid and, and sort of take it through the lens of, of where I was as a writer and also like what's going on in the world. We're keeping what is the heart of that show and we're just bringing a fresh take on it. Good evening, Engineer Blake. My name is Servalan. No doubt you know who I am. Commander of the First Directorate, you control Earth security forces, and your family is one of the richest in the Federation, which explains your rather rapid promotion. You're well informed. When one is getting crucified, it's always useful to know who's banging in the nails. I'm so sorry about the nature of the charges, Blake, but we really do need to completely discredit you this time. The main character, the eponymous Roger Blake, who's the, the political wronged activist who's, who's framed for a crime that he didn't commit by the Federation, um, is forced into opposing it because he's tried the political means, which hasn't worked. And he's, he's very single-minded and that he does have to have a, a ruthlessness about him that he will do 
what is required to achieve his goals. Blake is your worst nightmare. He's a pragmatic idealist. If he believes that you should die, you will die before you even hear about it. This shoots a stream of very hot glue at very high pressure. It's not glamorous, but it will kill you. Do you understand? Yeah. He's a very charismatic character, and, and by virtue of that charisma, he, ins he inspires confidence, and their people will follow him. And you think he's the better man to follow? For now. We can still drop you off somewhere. Your choice. I'll stay. For now. The flip side of, of, uh, of Blake is, is Kerr Avon. Avon is a, a lone wolf. Some may say tiger. You're an objective eye. You mean I'm a clinical, cold-hearted bastard who understands the nature of evil better than you. Avon is a man who thinks that he is ruled by logic, but is in fact governed by passions that he barely understands himself. You're a smarter man than I am, Avon. But for all your intellect, you didn't win today because you don't understand people. The thing that's really interesting about Care Avon's relationship with Blake is that I think Care Avon knows what he doesn't know, which is one of his strong points. I want to work him out. Yeah, I'm going to get close. Up close and personal with this young man. Yeah. I want to know what he's about. I think we're both alpha males, and I think you know we would be very effective as a team. And once I know what he's about, then I'll come again. In relationship to the the ship, I want control. <laughs> I want control. And another thing, we can't just call you ship or system. We're equal now. The man's in fantasy land. Well, it seems like we're all getting our freedom back. So let's call it, I don't know, liberator. Liberator. Yeah, that's good. Oh, please. The name is confirmed. Well, it had to agree, didn't it? We're the only crew it's got. Clearly, but the ship's all we have, too. Of course it is. Until the ship finds better. Clearly. We don't really say clearly. Yeah, it's a bit... I'll say obviously. Does obviously work? Right from the get-go. We had Carrie in mind for Jenna. Okay, thank you. Carrie as Jenna brought uh, a great... American energy to it. The f***ing ship is all we got. Yo. And, and Carrie used to be a stand-up comedian. Uh, she's a New Yorker. And that was absolutely right for Jenna. It's a very ballsy, feisty character. That's your federation out there, sizing us up down their gun barrels. You think we're better? Oh, I know we are. She, I think, has an allegiance to Blake. Jenna's a spacer, and she'll do what's right for her ship every time. Carrie Dobro. She pilots the ship. Look, we do a fast elliptical orbit, drop the shuttle at the closest point, swing wide to avoid the mines, and then swoop in to get the shuttle. Once we've picked up the new recruits. Dean Harris. I'm Villa. I'm not a team player again. A crew is something I'll never, ever be part of. Owen Aronovich. No, I'm, I'm Gan. Gan? Gan, what have you done? I couldn't help it, officer. Just came away in my hand. So there's a double act. I mean, Villa's the light relief. Gan is the strong man. A murderer and a petty thief. Hardly a stellar catch. They each have the talent. Villa is a criminal, not because of circumstance, but because of inclination. I'm a coward as well. It's in my nature. Gan is the family man who's through tragedy, has lost his family. He'd like revenge. They survive by being together. What does this do? Careful! Don't want you fried. Sorry? You're the only one I can talk to. Gan tolerates him, um, but... At the root, they are they are best friends. We have a fresh start on the Liberator. When do we get another chance? But Mezin shouldn't be part of it. I'm not part of the crew. Callie will be making a reappearance eventually. 
because she was part of the original seven. But we do have an additional character who, in some ways, fulfills that role, and that is Laura Mezzin. India Fisher. Section leader Laura Mezzin. She's a Federation girl. She's a Federation service monkey, indoctrinated from birth, only one step up from a mutoid. She's Federation, strapped up in her armoured suit. But she's obviously annoyed someone in a previous life because we find her stuck on this um, prison ship. It's downloading all our personal data, all your criminal records. And yours too. I'm no criminal. She sees a, a different side to the Federation, a side that Blake and his followers see that she's never seen before. I don't care, Blake. We don't want Mezzin on the ship. None of us does. The ship has a name, Villa. It's called Liberator. Oh, very inclusive. And did you invite it to this meeting, too? In the original um, series, Liberator was basically a cool ship. It was an alien ship, but it was a cool ship. Liberator is the ship. I am Zen. I am the sole interface between the ship and the crew. Alistair Locke. Zen, when we initially encounter him, is not the Zen that we know and love from the original series. Confirmed. He's me. But uh, initially, he's lots of different me's because the uh, systems are all damaged when they first encounter the Liberator. Computer, confirm voice-activated controls. Systems awaiting access. Interesting. I think I have a working interface. Poor old Alistair Lockner's uh, Zen needed to be an isolation booth because we needed a clean take of the voice. Confirmed. Our Liberator is more dangerous, more exciting and more mysterious than the original Liberator. So when we say it's Blake 7, the Liberator is one of the seven, as it should be. Oh, Blake, you have fallen in with a bad crowd. The irony of Servalan is that she believes the same thing that Blake does, that the, the Federation is corrupt and must be reformed. It's just that her way of doing it involves her being on top. Aren't you going to kill us here, Servalan? It's a nice, quiet spot, far away enough for public opinion not to notice. Oh, I agree. You're old news. Other public enemies need their moment in the spotlight too, you know. Danielle is incredibly sexy incredibly understated. Daniela, I knew a little bit before being a Scottish actor, and I'm a Scottish actor, and we all kind of know each other. Is you have a kind of Caledonian struggle going on between, between uh, Nardini and, and Derek. You've been so busy since we last spoke, Blake, but it's good to see you one final time. Bring him now, Travis. Travis was the original heavy in the series. He was... He was had an eye patch and was basically rebuilt and part cyborg and really rather angry with Blake for something that had happened in the backstory. Blake, tell your ship to surrender. It has nowhere to run. When we first meet Travis, he's an upright, law-abiding, regulation-toting Federation officer, the kind of good Federation officer that gives the Federation service a good name. Do we open fire? No, let it through. No firing. Commander? Weapons on standby. Prepare boarding parties. I'm leading this one myself. And during the course of his pursuit of Blake, he becomes the Travis that we know and love from the original series. It's been a long journey. Hi, it's Travis. Hi. It's a big cast. It's a really great cast. It's a three-hour epic. Hugely positive experience. Really good fun. Really good people. And we had so much fun in that studio. This <laughs> We did have to physicalise in order to get the, the energy. There were flashes up there in the sky. It's like audio blue screen. There! There's nothing to react to. And the scenery is so brilliant! You could see how much passion had gone into the writing of it. 
This ship's called the Liberator. Tell your ship to surrender. It's a flame of remembrance. I'd always underrated vengeance. A torch for all the people and worlds you've destroyed. They're just blowing them apart. To feed the empire you've built on money, lies and blood. You can explain to my fists. Gam, don't. And for all the innocent citizens you've condemned to prison planets because they had ideas of their own. Travis, what's happening? What are you doing to my ship? Your days are numbered, Commander. I want to see that ship for myself. It's better to follow one light than live in the dark of the Federation. I underestimated you. It's a common mistake. It won't happen again. Close communication. Liberator, get us out of here. Confirmed. But the audio adventures are not the first attempt to revive Blake 7. Its enduring popularity led to an affectionate parody starring the cream of British comedy talent. Blake's Junction 7. I guess you were... Didn't get any of the messages? We've... We've moved a couple of times, actually. Me too. I'm down near Rygate now. Yeah. My name's Tim Plaster, and um, I'm a writer, actor, filmmaker. I wrote a short film called Blake's Junction 7, uh, which is uh, loosely about... Blake 7, uh, but it's Blake 7 uh, transposed into a motorway service station at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I also had a very small part in the um, revival. I had a small role as clinician Havant, who um, apparently is the man who wiped Rog Blake's memory unsuccessfully. I don't know, it was a, it was a, very, it was a small part, uh, clinician Havant, um, and I believe it was cut out of um, when it was transmitted. It might still be there, I'm not sure. Look for me, or listen for me. I kind of wanted to do a, a, a comedy with a sci-fi feel to it, but I wanted to keep... I wanted it to, to be a British sci-fi feel, and um, it, it seemed to me that Blake 7 had this kind of resonance, that people remembered it fondly, but it hadn't really been, um, you know, reimagined and, and re-explored, and Blake 7 kind of had this strange, familial quality about them that I wanted for the film because the idea was to to take them and place them in an environment where you would least expect to find them, uh, in this case being a, a service station. And I wanted them to act very much like a, a family would act at a service station, so uh, Blake 7 instantly had that for me. It kind of had the, the kind of feel of a, a slightly dysfunctional family. Um, it just seemed fun to me to try and crash those two those two worlds together and combine, I guess, my memories of going to service stations when I was uh, 10 or 11, which was the time I was watching Blake 7, with, you know, those characters. Most of the cast of Blake's Junction 7 were of a certain age and they, uh, like myself, had, had grown up watching it. The one guy, one member of the cast who hadn't seen, ever seen Blake 7 was um, uh, Mark Heap who uh, we got to play Avon. Um, and he actually uh, became a bit of a fan of the show as a result of doing the film, because I did little um, videotapes for all the cast before they did the film. I wanted them to see some episodes of Blake 7, because I don't think any of them had seen it for, you know, 20, 25 years. Sorry, all right, I forgot you were switched off. At the same time, I then wanted them to totally throw away what they'd seen in those in those episodes because I never wanted them to be doing impressions of Michael Keating being Villa. I remember having a conversation with Martin Freeman saying, I, I want you to be you, 
really. I want you to be as real. I want you to be a bloke. The, the joke is how you're dressed, that we can see your Blake 7. You don't have to, you don't have to play it. You don't have to play up to it. It's, we're do, the, work, the costume's doing the work for you, hopefully. I think Blake 7 has kind of those iconic things which we, um, when I was making the short film, I made sure that we had them in as well, which were the bracelets, the teleport bracelets, and uh, the sonic sound guns as well. I had, as a child, somebody, I think it was my uncle, made me a sonic sound gun. He worked for BT, so he had lengths of telephone wire, which was the key to those. I can't remember what the rest of it looked like. It probably looked terrible, but the fact that I had a little bit of telephone wire going to a belt was the kind of... That sold it for me that I did have a Blake 7 gun. I kind of love the, the fact that... Uh, despite knowing what they were up against and they had this minuscule budget and they went to see Star Wars before they made it and were absolutely horrified that they were meant to be attempting this. They just, in that wonderfully British way, just did their best. Weirdly, and I think one of the things that's really interesting about Blake 7 and its enduring appeal is um, I, I never really remembered Blake. And it was only kind of going back and watching it again that I realised that Blake did leave after the second series, but I um, didn't really remember Blake that well at all. It was all it was all about Avon for me. I guess maybe people, you know, who watched it as children have kind of grown up maybe to see that, you know, the future hasn't turned out to be this, this wonderful, gleaming thing. And uh, Blake 7 had this dark um, side to it and also that idea that, in, in the real world with people running around in, in spaceships with laser guns some people might not make it that's what I loved in Serenity as well the moment when Wash is killed at the end of Serenity was hang on that's my favourite character you just killed him you actually have killed him it was just an ama amazing for me amazing piece of you know bravara uh, bravura whatever the word is um and, you know, Blake 7 had that as well. It wasn't scared to try and kind of keep that that uh, that level of, uh, you know, dark future, that it's not maybe not a great place to be. I mean, the final episode, I still think, is uh, one of, you know, the best bits of TV ever made in this country. And it was certainly, for me as a child, it was up there with the end of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And... The Empire Strikes Back when he tells him he's his father. Those are the three things I seem to remember most as a child, turning to my dad and saying, What? Tell me it's not... They're not all dead, are they, Dad? Um, I think what's interesting about the talk of remaking Blake 7 is um, that idea of no-one being safe, which the original series had... It's like, I, you know, I can't watch James Bond films anymore because I know he's going to be all right at the end because he's a franchise. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, we might die. Of course he's not going to die. He'll be fine. Whereas, you know, a show where your, your main characters could die, it, it just seems to me more um, interesting and more, more real, I guess. Hi guys, don't forget you can follow me on my website at nonstopaudiopodshow.com and you can email me at nonstopaudiopodshow at gmail.com for your requests.
thanks a lot and enjoy the podcast.